0: Yo, it's Dixie's baby. The podcast, episode number eleven. The captain. Mark Messier. We got a lot, a lot, a lot to cover today. We got the New York Knicks who opened the season Wednesday night. Diggsies was at the Garden, a double overtime thriller. They're currently 2-1 after losing a game they probably should have won last night to the Magic. We got the New York Rangers. The Broadway Blue Shirts are sitting atop of the Metropolitan Division four 1-1, one one, nine points on the season. They're playing some great, great hockey. on the latest recent road trip. They're playing some great hockey right now. Uh, The New York Giants finally got a win yesterday. Who really cares? At this point in time with all the injuries and the way the season's going, you kind of hope they lose every game and get a top draft pick. But hey, they got a win. For once, on a Sunday, we weren't aggravated at the TV. And we also have, we'll go over a few other uh, things with the NFL that I'd like to get to. Uh, And last but not least, we'll finish off with a quick Yankees tidbit that I saw this week that was pretty interesting to me. But uh, first and foremost, let's get to the New York Knicks baby. All right, so the Knicks opened the season up with the double overtime thriller versus the Celtics. They won 138 to 134 Wednesday night. It was an amazing game. Probably one of the best home openers ever. And, Like I said, I was at the game, a lot of energy, very exciting. The Knicks are playing great basketball. They're back. They are relevant again. And when the New York Knicks are relevant in New York, there's no other team that fans get behind because it's a Knicks town everybody loves the Knicks. When the Knicks are good and when the Knicks are relevant, this town comes alive and the town did come alive Wednesday night. Just go online and look at Street Talk uh, from the fans outside the city, outside the garden Wednesday night going crazy. Bing bong and uh, you'll see just how excited Knicks fans were. Now, this game should have never went to overtime. Okay, the Knicks were up by six with a minute to play after Fournier hit one of his six threes on the night. And after a Jalen Brown turnover, it looked like the game was in the bag, but Kemba Walker got a little too careless. He turned the ball over. The Celtics get two. Okay, that's fine. What happens Next. Kemba turns the ball over again. A horrible inbound play that Thibodeau couldn't be happy with. Uh, they found They hit two free throws. Fournier makes a layup. Jalen Brown hits a three. Brown was pretty much wet all night long. He was hitting threes. I think he had like 22 points in the first uh, quarter alone. Um, Randall gets fouled, makes two free throws. Knicks up by three. Four seconds left. What happens again? Another bonehead move by Kemba Walker. He doesn't switch. Marcus Smart is left wide open. And when Marcus Smart is left wide open, he makes shots. He hits a three, ties the game at the buzzer. Triple zeros on the clock. The arena went so quiet that you could hear a pin drop if it wasn't for the Celtics fans going crazy. And there was a good amount of Celtics fans in the building. Uh, So... We had to overtime. Okay, we'll take it down. Uh, both teams traded threes in the first overtime. Fournier hit three more threes in the first overtime. Like I said, he had six on the night. And with the game tied 128 apiece, Jason Tatum had the ball. He had an ISO on RJ Barrett to win the game. And RJ played some amazing defense. He wouldn't let Tatum get by. Tatum missed the J. We had the double overtime. And once double overtime hit, both teams looked pretty tired. Uh, the shots weren't falling. Uh, Brown hit an early three. Randall missed the three. And at that point in the game, I was like, oh shit, this game is over. It's about to turn for the worse. Celtics are up three. If they make a bucket now up five with like three and a half minutes left, uh oh. This is not looking good. What happens? Randall makes an amazing defensive play. He blocks Jalen Brown. RJ makes a layup. Then Fournier turns it over. Celtics miss. Randall turnover. Celtics miss. Fournier miss. Brown miss. The emotions were really flowing here, man. Like the highs and the lows in a matter of seconds. I was literally getting exhausted watching them watching them play. Imagine being on that court playing. It was it was crazy. It, It was. The arena was going nuts. Uh, the game was tied at 133. a minute left. And that's when the Knicks finally buckled down. And they got the job done. Fournier hit another three. Derrick Rose makes a crazy acrobatic layup. Celtics miss three three-pointers in a row. It's like, oh my God, one of these are finally going to fall. The buzzer hits. Knicks win win. And like I said, it was such a fun game. Probably the most fun I had at a Knicks game uh, ever. And that includes game one of last year's playoffs versus the Hawks when Trey Young went off. But Trey Young went off. The Knicks lost. That's probably why I didn't enjoy that game uh, too much. But Randall was a beast all night long. 35 points, eight rebounds, nine assists, three blocks, but seven turnovers. You know, as as good as he played, you know, he's still turning the ball over uh, a lot. And he's balling like a champ. He's playing great. But there's times during the game when Randall tries to do too much. And he looks like the old, you know, 2018, 2019 Randall when he would just dribble into Dove. Dove double coverage um, and make bonehead plays. So at at, at certain points during the game, I don't know if he loses focus. He gets a little tired, but Randall reverts back to that guy and it scares the shit out of me. It really does because Randall has been an all-star player for the past year and a half, you know, last year and the beginning of this year. But when he reverts back to that old guy, it scares me. And I'm sure he'll get it together this year. He better because the Knicks are only going as far as Randall takes them. Okay, Randall's the star. He's the number one on the team. He's the Batman. He's the centerpiece. The Knicks are going to go as far as Randall takes them. And, uh, you know, who's his Robin? Is it RJ? Is it Fournier? Fournier? You know, we don't know yet. RJ was very, very quiet in the first half. I remember looking at the scoreboard like in the second quarter and he had zero points and I, I think that he had zero points all the way into the third quarter I'm pretty sure that his first field goal came halfway through the third but he finished strong, he finished with 19 points, he hit a couple clutch threes late, uh, Mitchell Robinson beasted down low, just like I said he would all preseason long, he put on that muscle he's using that muscle 17 rebounds, a few nice plays that get 11 points um, Mitchell looked great but the story of the night has to be Evan Fournier. 32 points, six threes, four uh, four steals. And he showed us in the first game of the season that the bright lights at Broadway aren't too much for this man. And that's great to see because time and time again, we bring in these free agents, these big signings, and they lay a dud. But you know what? Leon Rose, World Wide West, Tom Thibodeau that knew they wanted Fournier. You know, it was between Fournier and DeRozan. I'm happy we brought in Fournier. A lot of Knicks fans were saying like, oh, Evan Fournier, he's not that much better than Reggie Bullock. Hey, Reggie Bullock never put over, put up over 20 in a game. Fournier dropped 32 points in his first game. So what a game by Fournier. I'm happy we gave him the bag. He dropped 32 in his Knicks debut and he set the record. Most points as a nick in their debut. Plus, Fournier played great D. He played very great D. He's been playing great D this season and like I said, he had four steals but he closes out very well all night. He sticks to his assignment like Wide on Rice and he's always in the right place at the right time and Fournier plays great D. He's also wet with that three-point shot. Three and D player, the Knicks needed one. We got one. Uh, Obi Toppin played a lot of important minutes with Taj Gibson and Nerlens Noel out. 28 minutes. 14.6 14.6 for nine from the field. He made some nice highlight dunks on a few fast break plays. And when he does that, the crowd erupts, man. The crowd wants to see those slammer jammer dunks, those uh, ESPN top 10 sports center plays. OB brings that excitement to the garden. And when he does it, the crowd gets going because there was plenty of OB, OB, OB. Obi Chance at the Garden Wednesday night. Uh, He needs to get the three ball down. He was 0 for 3 from 3 sure that will come, but like I said, the Knicks win a lot of small ball with Noel and Gibson out. Uh, Jericho Sims saw his first action early in the first quarter, but after posting a a minus 7 plus 7, he only played 6 minutes, even quickly. Quickly only played 8 minutes, and you gotta wonder, with Kemba here, Fournier balling like he did, D-Rose, you know, is IQ's role going to be diminished? I'm sure with injuries and, you know, throughout the season IQ will play more, but Obi was the top second-year player on Wednesday night, and Obi and Randall worked very well together down low, and they outscored the Celtics 28-15 to in the time they played together in that small ball lineup. So I like what we see. Taj Gibson uh, was back last night, but um, I-, I think that have an Obi and Randall down low, which last year, if you said that, that would be a scary sight because of Obi's defense. But Obi has really worked on his defense in the offseason, and it showed because Obi has played great defense through the first three games of the year. Uh, Derrick Rose was cold all night Wednesday, but he came up when it mattered most in double OT. And like I said but before, you know Kemba Walker left a lot to be desired, uh, but it's only game one. He had ten points, eight rebounds. He rebounded well, but he needs to get the turnovers in check. He had four. And, you know, the swish cheese defense that the Knicks showed late, I'm sure that will get fixed quickly because Thibodeau, he doesn't play that shit. Defense first, he doesn't play that. So as long as the offensive numbers are there, uh, they started out very cold, very, very cold, but they finished hot, hitting 48.6 field goals, 38% from three. And the Celtics finished with 41% from the field, which is crazy. Because early in the second quarter, I looked up on the scoreboard and... And the Celtics were shooting 60% plus. The Knicks were in the low 30s. Look how things changed quickly in the second and third quarter. So, a great win all around for the Knicks. They start 1-0. Game 2, they head to Orlando, and they killed the Magic. It was raining three-pointers. The whole team was soaking wet. 121-96. They were up 31 at one point in the game. Uh, the first half, Kemba Walker started hot. 3 from 3 from 3 Fournier picked up where he left off, 10 points in the first quarter. Fournier and Randle, they play an amazing two-man game together. Uh, They play so well off each other. When they get going, they can't be stopped. And like I said earlier, man, Fournier has some amazing basketball IQ. He's always in the right place at the right time, and it leads to him getting easy steals, getting out on the fast break. Um, Obi. Again, played great D against the Magic. Uh, the Knicks were up sixty-five thirty-five at halftime. It didn't really, uh, you know, didn't really change from there. Uh, the Magic switched to a zone in the third quarter. Uh, they went on a twenty-two to four run. Uh, the Knicks' threes stopped falling and. If you're, if you're playing zone against you, you need those threes to fall. You need to get those shots to fall. We saw what happened last night, Sunday night, when the Magic played a zone, and you know the threes weren't falling. But hey. It stopped in the third quarter. Uh, Fournier stopped the streak. They started 0 for 6 from 3 in the third quarter, the Knicks did. Uh, Like I said, Fournier stopped the streak. The Knicks gained uh, the momentum back. They kept going. They got the win. Uh, Mitch hurt his hamstring in that third quarter. Not good to see. He also uh, banged knees with somebody last night. So that's two games that Mitch got hurt, almost went down. He came back in both, but that's something that... Gotta worry you because we need Mitch down low at that five. Um, But like I said, Knicks got it together. They led by 22 after the third quarter. Obi Toppin showed up again in the fourth quarter. He's been very impressive so far this year. Hit a three. Great defense led to a slammer-jammer, fast break, wide open dunk after he made a nice steal in the backcourt with D. Rose. Uh, it was pretty much over from there. Now, all the, rook- all the rookies got in late. Quinton Grimes, Miles McBride, Sims, and Grimes. They were playing great D like it was... You know the final minutes of Game Seven of the Finals. Uh, McBride as well, great hustle. He ran down a fast break. He broke up the play, and to see these rookies, Grimes and McBride playing this hard at the end of a game when they're up twenty-seven, it's very encouraging to see. And you can see that Tom Thibodeau is already on these rook- in these rookies' head in their ear, saying, "Hey, you want minutes? You got to play tough D." Um, but like I said, the Knicks were wet from three. They set the franchise franchise record for most threes made in a game. 24 three pointers made, four more than the old record. And uh Randall got some more MVP chance, like he did Wednesday night, second straight game, and this time on the road, nonetheless. So the Knicks fans showed up in Orlando. Randall finished with 21 points, 10 rebounds, seven assists. Fournier had 18. The Knicks had had seven guys in double digits: Randall, Fournier, R.J., I.Q., O.B., Kemba, and D. Rose. Four of those guys, four out of the seven, came off the bench. So the Knicks are getting points from that bench. That's great to see. They shot 50% from the field, 24 for 54, 44% from three. And like I said, they broke the record, all-time Knicks record of 23 pointers in a game with 24 three-pointers in the game. Uh, It was a very great game, but you know what? Hey, you win by the three pointer, you lose by the three pointer. And in game three, they lost to the Magic 110, 104 last night. They didn't look good at all. And hey, the threes weren't falling. You know, like I said, the Knicks had tired legs, three point shots coming up short. Their defense wasn't there. The Magic played zone pretty much all game long. And like I said, if you're playing zone and the shots aren't falling, it's hard to conquer the zone. Uh, Terrence Ross went off in the fourth to give the Magic the lead. And they shot just 27% from three, uh, 37% from the field overall. Put that up against you know the 44% they shot from three the night before, and that pretty much tells you the entire story. Uh, Randall had 30. D-Rose had 23. uh, Fournier was quiet, just eight. RJ only 12, and nothing really from Kemba. Kemba really hasn't went off yet this year, but it's all good. They're two and one on their year, two impressive wins, and you know what? It's very intriguing to see the Knicks shoot the three so much because Tom Thibodeau, has never been that, you know, 3.0. Shooting team. He never really coached that. He's always coached, you know, toughness, D, getting the ball down low. But hey, like Thibodeau said, if they're good threes, I don't mind you making them. Last night they didn't take good threes. The night before they did. So it will be interesting to see how he tweaks this, and when the threes aren't falling, what type of offense he'll switch to. But like I said, two and one, that's that's okay. It's 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 a good start. It's better than being one and two or zero oh and three. But it would have been nice to be 3-0 because they got a little bit of a tough stretch coming up. They got the 76ers tomorrow night. Uh, they're playing undefeated Chicago Bulls at Chicago Thursday. And then to New Orleans on Saturday before the Raptors come to town on Monday. So all in all, it was a great opening week for the Knicks. Two and one. A lot of encouraging signs. A lot of the young guys stepping up, playing some tight defense. That's what we like to see. Defense wins championships. They're hitting the three. They're able to score points. 138 on game one. Granted, that was double overtime. 121 in Orlando game two. Last night, only 104 points, but the threes weren't falling. But All in all, a very encouraging sign for Knicks fans. The Knicks are here and they will be a contender in the Eastern Conference this year. It'll be exciting to watch. All right, the New York Rangers are playing some amazing hockey right now. Uh, 4-0 on their recent road trip, beating the Habs, Maple Leafs, Predators, and Senators. Uh, Shesterkin has been playing great. All season long, exceptionally well on this road trip in his three starts, uh, three goals against, one per game, 0.971 save percentage. He's been standing on his head, and especially the game against the Maple Leafs. He had 40 saves, uh, single-handedly kept the Rangers in that game before the Breadmen. Panarin got his first goal of the year in overtime. Uh, The game before that, they took care of the Habs. The Canadians, 3-1 behind goals from Kreider, LaFren. Yeah, which was a big goal in his hometown of Quebec, uh, and Rooney got an empty netter. Uh, Kreider has been a beast all season long. He's been the best uh, forward for the Rangers. Uh, Four goals, three on the power play. We'll hit the power play in a second. He's been throwing his body around, 22 hits. He's been the best forward on this team, like I said. Uh, Fox has been the best defenseman, but that's expected. And Fox single-handedly won the game in Ottawa this weekend for the Rangers. Uh, he saved the play during the power play in the third period uh, by making a great spin move, a little spin He got the puck to Zabanajed down low, who passed to Panarin, who then perfectly, what an assist by the bread man, perfectly placed the puck on Kreider's stick for another power play goal for Kreider. Uh, Fox didn't get credited with an assist on that play, but he set it up. That play wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Fox, and then less than two minutes later, he set up Lindgren for the game tiling, tying goal, and a couple minutes later, Barkley Goodrow scored the game winner, uh, a game which was dominated by Ottawa, and the Rangers looked lethargic um, at the end of a long four-game road trip. They turned on the afterburners late in the third, they got the win. Uh, Georgiev was a net. He came up big after getting smoked on opening night for five goals by Washington. He didn't play well in the preseason. He didn't play well in game one against the Caps, but it looks like he found something against Ottawa after giving up a goal in the first minute of the game. And it's good to see that he's playing well because, as we all know, backup goalies are important in the NHL. So the Rangers currently sit in first place of the Metropolitan Division for one. 1 and 1 winners of 4 in a row and if you take away the 5 goals they let up in Washington they only let up 8 goals over 5 games that one that's 1.6 goals per game pretty damn well, if you ask me. Uh, They keep that up. They'll be hard to beat. And if they get the power play in check, they'll be hard to beat as well. But like I said, Kreider has been clutch on the power play, uh, but that's about it. He has all three of the Rangers power play goals and the Rangers are converting at just a 12.5% clip on the power play. Uh, Three for 24. They need to get better there. Uh, They're killing 81% of Penalty kills, which is about 18th in the league. They need to get a little better there as well, considering you got top teams this year, top teams like St. Louis, San Jose, Pittsburgh, killing penalties at a 98% clip. Uh, they certainly have missed Ryan Strom and Capo Caco, who both practice this weekend. Um, Strom has missed the last few games for COVID issues. Kako with an upper body injury. Um, both of them coming back will be great for the team. Uh, very good because, as you've seen watching the last few games, that Gallant had to change the lines around. Um, you had Lafreniere playing in that top line with Zabonijed and Kreider. Now you got Panarin over there. So it'll be good to get Kako and Strom back because, you know, Kako and Strom, that, those were you know, two guys, the, the top two guys on that, um, well, Panarin was on that second line, but you pretty much lose one of your best, two of your top six forwards when you lost Strom and Kako. And we know in hockey, it comes down to your top six forwards scoring, making the plays, you're, you're losing two thirds of your second line. And look what the Rangers done. They still plugged away. They still won. So the team in general is playing very well together and the media is taking notice. And they said that uh, word from the locker room is that the team is feeling a lot more cohesive as in years past, especially after the four game winning road trip. And Jacob Truba said who, he's playing some great day lately. Uh, he said that they found a new sense of togetherness that was severely lacking. Under past head coach Dan Quinn. So, Gerard Gallant has the boys playing great. It's going to be a great year for the Blue Shirts, and I truly do expect a playoff appearance this year. Um, I really think they'll get to the playoffs. You know, they made the playoffs in the uh, COVID year up in the bubble, but... They really didn't because, you know, the players were expanded that year. Uh, Last year, they missed. But I think if they continue to play like they're playing now, they get the power play in check, kill a few more penalties. I think they'll be in uh, you know, it's in the hands. I, I truly think they'll be able to make a playoff spot. Um, this week, three games. The Flames come to MSG tonight. That game is actually kicking off in a little bit. Um, so if you're listening tomorrow, that game would have been last night. Uh, Blue Jackets come to town on Friday. And then on Sunday night, 9 p.m., a great way to end the week. Halloween day, the Rangers head to Seattle to take on the Seattle Kraken. So it's going to be uh, an exciting week for the Rangers. The Rangers have been playing great hockey, 4-0 on their road trip. Hey, you know, after they got killed by the Capitals, game one, opening night, 5-1, it was like, uh uh-oh, here we go. You know, granted, Georgiev was in net that night because they wanted Shosturkin for the home opener against Dallas. Then Dallas, you go into OT. Dallas scores in OT. They win. That game, it's an overtime loss. But hey, you start all one and one, you rattle off four straight victories, four one and one, top of the Metropolitan Division. I like it. And when you're sitting back and looking at it now, the Rangers are the better team in New York right now. The Islanders haven't been playing that great. They're they're starting to play better, but you know, tough tough break for the Islanders starting the game, uh, starting the season on the road. I think it was like 11 or 13 games on the road. Um, They still aren't going to play home for another. Like twenty-something days, uh, November twentieth, they get their home opener. That's a Saturday night game. Um, so UBS is coming along. UBS Arena in Belmont's coming along. Uh, the Islanders will be back home in. I don't know, what, 26 days? So they still got a long ways to go on the road trip. But hey, the Islanders, it will, it'll be good for them knowing that at the back end of the season, they'll have plenty of home games uh, to get their self on track for the playoff push. Because let's be real, the Islanders aren't playing well right now, but best believe the Islanders are going to be in the playoffs come playoff time. The Rangers are going to be in the playoff come playoff time. And I would love, absolutely love a nice Rangers Islanders playoff series to get this city rocking. So the Rangers, 4-1-1 on top of the Metropolitan Division. Let's go, Rangers. Dancing Larry has to be happy up there in the 400s, dancing his ass off. And uh, yeah, man, Rangers, Knicks, they are saving New York sports right now. All right. Well, the New York Giants got their second win of the year yesterday against Carolina 25 to three behind Daniel Jones uh, passing and receiving. Uh, We'll get to that brilliant move by Jason Garrett in a second Um, and their defense. Uh, The defense had their best game of the season. Uh, They limited Carolina to 173 yards. Uh, They forced the safety on an intentional grounding play interception by James Bradbury and linebacker, rookie linebacker, Aziz Ojolari, two and a half sacks. Um, It's nice to see the young guy get going. But all in all, you know, let's be real, Giant fans. Like, do we really think the season is going anywhere? I don't. um, At this point in time, you know, half the fucking offense is out, hurt. And honestly, I really, I, I, you know, I know it's only week seven and, you know, I might be biting my tongue with this, but I don't know. I kind of given up on the Giants season. Now, looking at the schedule coming up, you know, the Chiefs next week, we go to Kansas City. You know, three, four weeks ago, we looked at that as a guaranteed loss, but hey, now with the way Mahomes is playing, the way that Chiefs offense is playing, you know, getting killed by the Titans um, on Sunday, uh, the Titans, you know, pretty much blew out the Chiefs on Sunday, Uh, a very surprising game. Um, You didn't think the Chiefs were going to lose that bad, 27 to 3. When was the last time you saw the Chiefs only put up a field goal, you know, so Hey, the Giants head to Kansas City next week. The Raiders come to town the week after that before we get a bye for the Bucs. So, hey, maybe they could win those two games going to the bye four and five. Um, Then you got the Bucs, Eagles, Dolphins, uh, Chargers, Cowboys, Eagles, Bears, Washington. So, I don't know. Is there a chance that they could salvage the season? Yes. Um, You know, you get. To what nine and eight, maybe you'll get the seventh seed, you know, possibly 10 and seven, possibly getting that last seventh spot in the NFC. NFC? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it, the NFC is very top heavy with the Cardinals, the Bucks, the Cowboys, and the Packers. So, I don't know. Personally, I think at this point in time, do I really want? the Giants to have like a 500 se- Well, it can't be 500 now because there's 17 games, but do I want the Giants to have a, you know, eight and nine season, a nine and eight season? Like wh- what good is that going to do? That means Jones is coming back. That means Judge is coming back. That means Jason Garrett's coming back. And speaking of Jason Garrett, like, honestly, I, I really want to, like, I, I really want to know what's going through that man's head. Okay. You got pretty much half of your offense is on, on, the injured reserve or injured, Galladay, Barclay, few Lyman, Shepard didn't play this week. So you, you got uh, Kadarius Toney. So you got half of your offense hurt. Okay. So it's week seven against the Panthers. Okay. Not a great team. So why don't we run a trick play and have Daniel Jones go out for a pass, which I'll give it to him. Daniel Jones made a great one-handed catch. It was pretty, you know, they throwing it back to the Odell catch, what have you. But come on, Jason Garrett. What the fuck are you thinking? You know, Jones is a wide receiver in that play. He could get crushed. Jones gets hurt. He's out for the year. Then what? Like, it's week seven. Like, I, I know, like, we've seen quarterbacks do that in the Super Bowl. You know, Falls did it and then Brady did it. But, like, that's win or go home, all or nothing. The last game of the year, it's week seven week 7 there's still 10 more weeks of uh, i'm sorry 11 more weeks of the season now that it's an extra game this year like you're really going to like what makes you think it's a good idea to send your quarterback out there to catch a pass when the the, the defender was right there and he could he crushed bad move by Jason Garrett and if I'm Joe Judge I would have ripped Garrett apart If Joe Judge let that happen, then it just shows how much more of an issue Joe Judge is. Like, am I overreacting here? Like, what are other Giants fans feeling? Like, am I the only one that think that's a bad idea to send Jones out on on that play? Like, come on. Like, Jones is the only thing right now that's keeping us going because we don't have Barkley. We don't have Galladay. It's like, and again, once again, it's like... Daniel Jones, fucking Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, like one good game, one bad game. It's like, what are we getting from him? What is he? Like, I understand that he's had more good games than bad this year. He threw for 203 yards, one touchdown. He made that great cat catch. He rushed for uh, 28 yards. You know, it's like, uh, I don't know, man. I am so torn about the Giants. It's not even funny. It's like, I want them to do bad. So they, they, they got two number one draft picks. Next week, uh, next year, because of the Kadarius Tony trade when they traded it back. Um, you know, if they do bad, Gettleman's out of there. Joe Judge is out of there. Jason Garrett's out of there. Maybe Daniel Jones is out of there. You start fresh. Do I want the Giants to start fresh? I'd like Daniel Jones, but I don't love him. I don't. I don't, like I said last week, we don't know if Daniel Jones is the future or not. You look at the other young quarterbacks in the league, Joe Burrow, the fucking first in the AFC North. He's the future of that franchise. Justin Herbert's the future of that franchise. Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, uh, even looking at the, these other Tua, Tua you know, two is not the future in Miami. That's for sure. Um it's just, you know, Zach Wilson with the Jets. The Jets got killed by the Patriots this week. And, you know, we we certainly, you know, 54 to 13. The fucking the Patriots and Bill Belichick put up a 50 burger against the Jets. And you know Belichick loves to run off the score against the Jets. And Zach Wilson got hurt in that game. Matt White came in, threw for 202 yards, two interceptions. The Jets lose another one. And You know what? What do the Jets get? They get the red-hot Bengals next week. So we'll see what happens there. But back to Daniel Jones, like I'm 50-50 with the guy. Like I said, Jekyll and Hyde. I I don't know if he's going to be a franchise quarterback or not. And honestly, part of me wants them to... You know, tank the rest of the year, get rid of Getterman, get rid of Judge, get rid of Garrett, get rid of Jones, and go out and draft Matt Corral, or Matt Corral, however you pronounce it, out of Ole Miss. Because the last time we drafted a quarterback out of Ole Miss, it worked out pretty well. Uh, We got a starter for 15 plus years and won two Super Bowls. So I know he's not the most polished quarterback prospect. He's not a, a, a top prospect like the years past, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, what have you. But you know what? He's from Ole Miss. Last time we drafted a quarterback out of Ole Miss, it it worked out. He's athletic. Jones is athletic as well. And honestly, if you're bringing a rookie quarterback into this team, there's a lot, a lot of weapons. You got Barkley, Galladay, Slayton, Shepard, Tony, Engram, uh, If he comes back, Rudolph. Like, there's a lot of weapons. And we saw this week that the D is starting to pick up, and the D's playing well. So, I don't know. I, I don't, uh, it's week seven and I don't, as a sitting here, as a Giants fan, obviously I want them to win. I would love for them to make the playoffs, but I'm being a realist here. I don't think the Giants can make the playoffs this year. So I don't know. Do I want them to fucking lose, you know, 12 games and get rid of everybody and rebuild, you know, behind a new uh, general manager, a new head coach, you got Eric Biennemi still. Still sitting down there in Kansas City, the fact that this man does not have a head coaching job in the NFL right now is, it's, it's absurd that this man doesn't have a head coaching job in the NFL. The Chiefs haven't been putting up crazy numbers this year that, you know. The hiring the Chiefs offensive coordinator isn't as sexy as it would have been in years past, you know, coming off a Super Bowl win or a Super Bowl appearance. You know, maybe it'll be easier for the Giants to get Eric Bienemy. I don't know. Will Mara bring in someone like Eric bien You know, we don't know, but I don't know. It's it's too early for me to think about these things right now, and it's sad that I am thinking about these things right now because the way they got killed by the Rams last week, the losses they had, you know, the weeks before, it's just, I don't know. It, it, it sucks being a Giants fan right now. Obviously, the Giants are in a better position than the Jets, but... I don't know. I, I don't know what I want out of the Giants right now. And that's very, very frustrating when you see that these young teams across the NFL are playing great. And one of those young teams that I'm talking about are the Cincinnati Bengals. You know, the Bengals are 5-2. and two. They're first in the AFC North. They would be the number one seed right now in the NFC in the AFC part in if the playoffs started today. They beat the Ravens, the Steelers, two division rivals. They should have beat the Packers. Joe Burrow, man, he's playing amazing. 1,956 yards, 17 touchdowns, eight interceptions. He's sixth in the NFL in yards, fifth in touchdowns. He threw for 416 yards against a great Ravens defense this week. And his new rookie weapon, Jamar Chase, man, he's on pace to have the best rookie wide receiver campaign Since Randy Moss broke all the rookie wide receiver records back in the 90s, 754 yards on only 36 receptions, six touchdowns, Cooper Cup, who leads the NFL in yards at 809, has 21 more receptions than Chase. He has 57 receptions. So just look about that. Cooper Cup has 57 receptions, 800 yards. Chase has thirty-six receptions, seven hundred and fifty-four yards. That means that Chase is a home run hitter. He's a one-man electric factory, and I gotta admit, man, I wasn't. I didn't think that draft pick was smart. I thought they should have took Penny Sewell and and you know straightened that offensive line, especially after Burrow got hurt last year. A lot of other people said the same thing. We were dead. Wrong. Jamar Chase is a superstar. Ed Chase, the Boyd Higgins mix in the Bengals are for real, and it's it's nice to see that the Bengals are playing good football because they've been a mess down there in Cincinnati. They made a few playoff appearances, but when was the last time they won a playoff game? When Boomer uh was the quarterback? That's a long, long time ago. Uh, they got a layup against the Jets this week. Uh, they should be six and two. Then they got the Browns. Raiders still is figure two and one there. That's 8-3, then all they got to go is like 3-3 three and three down the stretch to snag a playoff spot, but I'm pretty sure that this team wants to win the AFC North and let's be real, um, they'll probably not get the bye, I know they're in, in the spot right now to get the bye, but I don't think they'll get the bye, but I can see them being a top 3 or 4 seed and, uh, you know, they're the most surprising team in the NFL right now, and on the other hand, the most disappointing team in the NFL has to be the Chiefs 3-4, uh, and four, they're tied for last in the AFC West, Mahomes 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 looks bad this year, and of course, the one year that Diggsies gets Mahomes in fantasy football, I traded for him after week one, I gave up Aaron Rodgers and Gronk for Patty Mahomes, I thought that I was making a steal, what happens? Mahomes blows this year, what a mush Diggsies is, nine interceptions this year, 16 interceptions in his last 16 games, it just goes to show you that it's a tough tough league. Just because you're a superstar doesn't mean you're going to get an easy road to the playoffs every year, and that is exactly why you need to win the big games when you're there because you never know when you're going to be back. They were in the AFC Championship game three years ago. They won the Super Bowl two years ago, lost the Super Bowl last year. You know what? They only got one Super Bowl out of three shots, you gotta win the games when you're there because who knows when Mahomes will be back and the AFC is stacked. Just look look at the AFC. You got the Bills, the Raiders, the Bengals, Titans. They're all in first place. Other than the Bills and the Titans, who would have had the Bengals or Raiders in, in, in first after week seven? I certainly didn't. But hey, the Titans look great, man. Titans beat the Chiefs 27-3. Diggsies has a future ticket on the Titans to win the AFC. That will be some nice cheddar for Diggsies if it can happen. Um, on the NFC side, you got the Cardinals, Bucks, Cowboys, Packers. We all could have guessed that. Uh, the Cardinals are undefeated. And Kyler Murray, man, once again, you give him another weapon, Zach Ertz, look what, look what happens. Touchdown! Like it's unfair that they got Zach Ertz because you add Ertz to Hopkins, Kirk, Rondell Moore, A.J. Green, the 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 Cardinals are for real. Their defense is one of the best defenses in the NFL this year with J.J. Watt added to the mix, and. You know, like I said, the Bucks, the Cowboys, and Packers are all in first in their respective division. They all have one loss. The Cardinals have no, none. They're undefeated, 7-0. So it's going to be a tight race in the NFC for that buy spot. That first round bye used to be two. Now it's only one because there's seven teams in the playoffs this year. So, hey, Week seven, NFL is rocking and rolling. You got the Cardinals in the NFC undefeated, the Cowboys and the Bucs and and the Packers playing great football. Over on the AFC side, you got the upstart Bengals, the surprising Raiders after losing Gruden. The Titans, you know, the Bills, the Chiefs aren't there, the Pats aren't there. We're getting some parody in the NFL. You gotta love it. And I'm excited for the rest of the year. And like I said, as a Giants fan, I don't know what I want. Do I want them to tank, get a new quarterback, blow it up, start over with the offensive weapons they have? Or do I want them to go for that seventh playoff spot? I don't know. There it goes. All right, well, the big news last week for the Yankees, where they brought back Aaron Boone on a three-year deal, plus options. Obviously, Cashman's coming back. They pretty much cleaned house with the coaches, the hitting coach, uh, first base coach, third base coach, what have you. Still a long ways to go to see what they do in free agency. The World Series is underway tomorrow night. The Atlanta Braves takes on the Houston Astros. Once again, the Astros in the World Series. They won it back in 2017. They lost to the Nats in 2019. They're back again. It's like the Astros have become the New York Yankees of the American League year in, year out. They're in the ALCS or the World Series. I hope the Atlanta Braves mop the floor with the Houston Astros. It'll be a tall task for the Braves, but you know what? Who would have thought the Braves would have put, beat the Dodgers? Um, crazy. You know, it's the first time the Braves are in the World Series since, what, 99 when they lost to the Yankees, they won the World Series in 95, they lost in 96 against the Yankees, lost in 99 against the Yankees, Um, did they lose in 90, no, that was the Padres in 98 with the Yankees, so yeah, man, the city of Atlanta has to be exciting, but they also have to be sitting on the edge of their seat, because you know what, Atlanta has been known to blow the big game, 28 to 3, Falcons versus the Pats, you know, World Series, Eh, you know, we'll see. Let's go Braves. Hopefully the Braves take care of the Astros and beat those cheating fucks. But on the Yankees side of things, it should be quiet. The World Series is happening. They just announced our head coach got a three-year contract. What, what more drama could there be in Yankees land? Well, I'll tell you. Our superstar starting pitcher, the guy we gave nine years and $324 million to, looks like he's not liked in the clubhouse and is a little bit of a bitch. And honestly, this report doesn't surprise me and it makes sense. And I'll tell you why in a second. So I'm going to read this little excerpt of the article that I uh, pulled um, off online. On, I saw it on Twitter last night. I'm going to read it to you real quick. So it says that losing spite attack was obviously a setback to Garrett Cole and other pitchers who considered it indispensable to soften the blow and lighten the moment. Brett Gardner paraded around the clubhouse with pine tar on his hat. He was trying to get a laugh out of Garrett Cole. Apparently it had the opposite effect. According to sources, Cole in full view of his teammates got in Gardner's face, told him to knock it off. Mind you, Gardner was the Yankees' senior ranking member and the last remaining connection to the 2009 Championship Club. If anyone knows about winning and the clubhouse chemistry that goes with it, it's Brett Gardner. Garrett Cole didn't see it that way, pushing back in a way that must have shocked the veteran outfielder. It took a full day for Garrett Cole to calm down. He ended up apologizing to Gardner. The matter was dropped, but it nevertheless spoke to Cole's skittishness. Could you imagine Sabathia Pettit or Mariano Rivera treating a teammate that way? No, I can't because it's all about clubhouse camaraderie. And this is the issue I've been talking about since fucking July. This is the issue with Aaron Boone. If you had a a hard-nosed manager in there, they would have cut this shit out. And Garrett Cole, what are you, a little fucking pussy? Like, honestly, if you can't take a joke from your teammate, how the fuck are you going to handle the pressure of the New York media or the opposing teams when you go play on the road with them fucking barking down your throat. Like you saw the videos in Boston when he was warming up in the bullpen out in the outfield in Fenway Park when the fans are fucking right on top of you. He was throwing his warm up session, his bullpen session before his start and the Red Sox fans were getting on of him. That's a ball. Oh, that's a ball. Oh, you're in for a rough night, Garrett Cole. You're in for a rough night. What happened? He was in for a rough night. He had a horrible night. He fucking choked under the bright lights. Like does. Does Cole not have a backbone? Like, is he so much of a bitch that this is going to bother him? It's fucking Brett Gardner, your teammate. You're supposed to laugh in the clubhouse and make light of things. You can't just be like, ha ha that's funny. Knock it off, asshole. You're going to fucking... Blow up on Brett Gardner, the fucking, the like I said, a, a world champion. Garrett Cole's not a world champion yet. Who knows if he'll ever will be. You're going to blow up on Brett Gardner in front of the whole clubhouse and not talk to him for another day. Bad, bad juju. Coming out of the Yankees clubhouse right now, bad, bad juju for Garrett Cole. I cannot fucking believe this. I always knew that there was something off about this guy. I was thrilled when the Yankees gave him the $324 million contract. We finally got our ace. What has he been since he's been signed to this Yankees team? Nothing. Has he won us a World Series? Has he got us to the ALCS? No. And honestly, once the spider attack went away, Garrett Cole became a different pitcher. And the fact that he is busting uh, Brett Gardner's balls and getting in Brett Gardner's face shows how much spider attack meant to Garrett Cole so pretty much the Yankees spent 324 million dollars on a pitcher that isn't the same pitcher so we wasted 324 million Garrett Cole is never going to be the Garrett Cole he was in Houston he lost his his ace in his hole the despite attack like look at Jacob degrom Jacob degrom lost the spider attack he still mowed everybody down Look at Nathan avaldi Nathan Ivaldi lost to Spotty Tech. He was mowing people down for the Red Sox. Like, look at these starting pitchers. Look at Lance McCullers for the Astros. He's, he's fucking pitching in the World Series. Like, come on, Garrett Cole. Like, are you that much of a baby back bitch that you're going to fucking... Get on your teammate like that, who's trying to make a joke. Like you're like the Yankees, man. They are so fucked up in the head, man, with the boom boxes and the turtles. Like you think you got a light like clubhouse, but then you got this comment, this issue going on with Garrett Cole getting in Brett caught in his face. Like, what more can go wrong for the Yankees? Like, we just got knocked out of the wild card game against our biggest rival, the Boston Red Sox. We haven't been to the ALCS since 2017, and what's the factor that? who was coaching this team in 2017 joe girardi a no take no prisoners no shit manager the second we brought aaron boone into the, the the fold the yankees have choked and been failures so what do we do we give him another fucking three-year contract let him coach this team for the next three years we never should have let. Go, Joe Girardi. We should have never let him walk. He took us to the ALCS with the baby bombers. The Yankees weren't even supposed to be there yet. Judge's first year, Gleyber Torres, this, that, the other. We let him go. We bring in Boone with the analytics ever since we have sucked. Obviously, that's the issue, Brian Cashman. Why can't you see it? Then we shell out $324 million to this guy, Garrett Cole, all-star pitcher. He loses spite attack, and now the rumors are he's not a clubhouse guy. Like, come on, man. He should be the fucking face of the franchise. He should be the one in the clubhouse holding everything together. Now he's not a clubhouse guy. Who knows what other teammates do uh, Honestly, it, it, reading these reports and reading these things on Twitter, it's like everybody in that clubhouse doesn't like Eric Colt. And Garrett Cole's a fucking big hard-on in the clubhouse. Great. That is perfectly great, considering he has another seven years left, and he's our ace starting pitcher. The Yankees aren't going fucking anywhere while Garrett Cole is on this team, while Aaron Boone is coaching this team. And honestly, that's all I got to fucking say about that. I am pissed. My fucking heart rate's up to about 140 right now. I'm pissed off. I'm aggravated. I'm sweating. It's fucking hot in my office right now. Episode 11's over. I'll see you next week.